Exodus 25, we're going to be reading verses 10 through 22. This is the eternal word of our God. The Lord, uh, they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside shall you overlay it. And you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet. Two rings on the one side, two rings on the other. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. From above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all I will command you regarding the people of Israel. Since the reading of the words of our God, let's pray and ask him to, to bless it to us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this has been passed down to us from generation to generation, that it has been preserved for us by you. And God, we pray that as you open up your will to us, that you would, uh, that you would speak, that you would share your words, Lord, that you would show us uh, yourself. Show us your son. Lead us, Lord. Feed us with the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. God is big. In fact, God is really big. Uh, in Isaiah 66, God says this, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Right? The, the whole earth is nothing but a footstool for God. God's big. But that's not even the crazy part. The crazy part is not how big God is. The crazy part is that a God so huge would care about us. What is man that you are mindful of us? But not only is God mindful, not only does he notice that we exist, he actively pursues a relationship with us. In fact, God is big, and he likes you. As we learned last week, our God desires to dwell with us here in the material world that he has created. God wants to dwell with us. That's the story of Scripture. God with us. But we shouldn't stop there. Because God doesn't stop there. God is not content to merely live in the same place as us. 
Because we all know that it's possible to live in the same place, to live in the same house, and yet not have a relationship. Right? We all know it's possible to be in the same house and yet be distant, be cold, to not talk, to not have fellowship. And that's not the relationship that God wants with you. Not only does he want to dwell with you, he wants to meet with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to remove any distance there is between you and him. Because he's a good father. He's a good father who not only loves his children, but he likes them. And wants to be in their presence and to spend time with them and to meet with them. God is big and he likes you. And as we continue to read and consider uh, the tabernacle's construction instructions, we're going to first see just how great of a distance there is between us and God. We're going to see first how great a distance there is between us and God because God is holy. And he tells us in Exodus 33 that man shall not see me and live. But because he wants a close relationship with his people, he provides a meeting place. A place that bridges the gap between us and him. And that meeting place is in Exodus 25. It's translated in the ESV as the mercy seat. But that doesn't quite get at the meeting, at the meaning. God will meet with his people through their covenantal representative at the throne of atonement. And from that throne, situated upon the Ark of the Covenant, containing the words of the covenant, God speaks. And because God speaks from the throne, he speaks a command. And so that command for us today, the command is come. Come to me. So to summarize... God is holy, but he wants to meet with us. He wants to speak with us from the throne of atonement where he commands us to come to him. The holy God wants to meet with us and speak with us from the throne of atonement where he commands us to come to him. So the first question that we have to ask We've already seen all the different materials that the ark, or the tabernacle will be made out of. But in our passage today, we have to start asking the question, well, how do you even begin to make a house for a holy God? Right? How do you make a house for God? Well, first, the first thing you do is you make it exactly as he tells you how to make it. Right? Verse 9, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle. All its furniture, so shall you make it. Exactly as he says, that's how it's to be made. And so in verse 10, we get exact materials and dimensions. They shall make it an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length. Cubit and a half its breadth. And a cubit and a half its width. So secondly, we see that this house and everything in it, whether it's the ark or all the other things, they must reflect God's holiness. And God's holiness means two things. First, it means that he is outside of creation. 
God's holiness means he is outside of creation. He's not, he's not like us. He's not creational. He's not created. He is uncreated, which means he is outside of creation. And the other thing that his holiness means is that he is absolutely, completely, morally pure. So in verse 11, you shall overlay this ark with pure gold. So this ark is essentially, it's a wooden box. Right? It's, a, it's an ark of acacia wood. They give it dimensions. It's a wooden box. But it's overlaid with gold. And not just any gold, pure gold. There's this, there's this contrast between the wood of the ark and the pure gold that covers it. And pure gold, this, this idea of pure gold is repeated in verse 17 as well for the mercy seat. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Now that word for pure, uh, it refers to moral purity. It's like David saying, create in me a pure heart, O God. In other words, this gold must be without any impurities because God has no impurities. The gold must be without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. God is holy, and so his house must be holy. And everything it's made out of must be holy and perfect. And because God is holy, because he's perfect and absolutely pure, humanity must maintain a safe distance from God or be burnt up. Verses 12 through 15. God gives instructions for four rings that will attach to the ark and the poles that will go into the rings. And in verse 14, he says, You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. And in verse 15, The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. In other words, the ark must be carried by these poles and only by these poles. Why? So that nobody touches the ark. Well, you might ask, well, what happens when you touch the ark? Well, just ask Uzzah, who put out his hand to catch the ark when the oxen stumbled, and God struck him down and killed him for touching it. Mankind must not touch the ark. There must be a safe distance between them and God. And to drive this home, look at verses 18 through 20. The Lord commands Moses to make two cherubim of gold and to put them on the ends of the mercy seat. In verse 20, he says, The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Now, before we talk more about what the mercy seat is, just for now, think of the mercy seat as God's holy throne. This is his throne, his, the place of his presence. And when the Lord speaks from the Ark of the Covenant, he does so, he speaks from above the mercy seat, from between the cherubim and their overshadowing wings. And these cherubim, it says they're overshadowing the mercy seat, but overshadowing is not quite the right translation. It should be read 
that the cherubim shall spread their wings out above, shutting off access to the mercy seat. That the cherubim are actually guarding access to the mercy seat. This word for overshadowing is the same word in Ezekiel 28 when the Lord says, you were an, an anointed guardian cherub. That word guardian, it's the same word here for overshadowing. The cherubim, in other words, are God's honor guard. They are the ones who prevent anyone from approaching the throne of God. It was a cherubim who was placed in the garden. There's a cherubim who was placed in the garden to prevent anyone from going back into the garden. It's cherubim who are placed on the ark to prevent anyone from coming to God. That they are shutting off access. So despite God's desire to dwell with his people, there is a gulf, a gap, that separates him from his people. There has to be safe distance between us and God. Why? Why are we not allowed to touch the ark? Why do the cherubim block access to God's throne? The answer is what's inside the ark. Verse 16 and verse 21. Put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. Now the testimony... On the surface level, it's, it's the two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments inscribed upon them by God. But those tablets are symbolic of the whole. They represent the revealed word of God and the moral obligations placed upon Israel. The tablets represent God's word and the moral obligations placed upon his people. And remember, God is absolutely morally pure which means his word is absolutely pure. And that means that his law, God's law, cannot require anything less than perfection. God can't require less than perfection. This is why there is no such thing as indulging the desires of the flesh because God will understand. God cannot require less than perfection. And that's why the cherubim block access to God's throne. It's why Uzzah was struck dead on the spot. Because Israel and Uzzah and you and me were not absolutely morally pure. And the testimony in the ark testifies to that reality. Every time we read the Ten Commandments... We are hit in the face with our failures. And we're also hit with our inability. We see our sinful stains. We see how impure our thoughts and our motives and our emotions really are. Everything I do is tainted by sin. So God put boundaries in place in the construction of the ark, not to protect himself. God put boundaries in place to protect Israel. 
because he knew that if anyone got too close, his holiness would consume them. But God is not content with this arrangement. God does not want a distant, cold relationship based upon the good works of his children. What, what good dad would want that? So, as God always does, he did something about it. Verse 17. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. And then verse 22. There I will meet with you from above the mercy seat, from between the cherubim that are on the ark, I will speak with you. But all that I will command you concerning the sons of Israel. Now, on the surface, this mercy seat, it's essentially a lid for the box. But the Bible doesn't say make a lid. God doesn't say, and make a nice lid and make it all, all golden and all done. No, the word that God uses that's translated in the ESV into mercy seat, this word is closely, like, like their, their brothers, closely related to the word for the ransom, to purify, or to make atonement. So the NIV translates it as the atonement cover. But even that doesn't quite capture what God is saying. God is saying that he is holy, that his throne is unapproachable, and yet he says that he will meet Moses here at the place of atonement. In other words, there is a way to meet with God. Despite the gap and the distance that exists between us and God, God provides a way. He provides a path. And that path, that place where he will meet with his people is the place of atonement. Or the throne of atonement. And in later passages, God will teach that the high priest must enter into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, approach the Ark of the Covenant, and sprinkle the blood of the sacrificial animals upon this throne of atonement. And the high priest does this to atone for the sins of all Israel. Now, atonement means, atonement means a lot of things. But there's two things in particular to mention today. Atonement first means that the blood of the sacrifice has paid the penalty for sin. And atonement, secondly, means that the blood of the sacrifice has now reconciled the sinner to God. In other words, atonement means no more distance. So it's at the throne of atonement where the most, which is the most holy and pure place on earth, attended by his angelic honor guard, seated upon the testimony of his covenant, that there, God says, he will meet with Moses. He, I will meet with you at the place of atonement. God provided a way. And he did this because he wanted to bridge that gap that separated him from his people. And that gap is our sin. 
And so God promised a way to deal with the sin of Israel. He promised to meet with them at this throne of atonement, the place where sin is dealt with and removed from the sinner becomes the place of communion with God. Because God wants a close relationship with his children. Why? Because he likes them. God likes his people. He loves them. He made them. He wants to be with them. He wants to meet with them, to have relationship with them. He wants to talk with them. He wants to be reconciled with them. And because he knows not only of our failures, he knows our inability and our helplessness. And so he did something about it. He bridged the gap between us and him. But for Israel... That bridge was narrow. Only one man was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies and to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice upon the throne of atonement. The high priest. And he was only allowed in once a year. God provided a path through the throne of atonement, but the path was narrow. But that was not God's final plan. God would not stop until the bridge between him and his people was as wide as the earth itself. So in Romans 3, Paul says that God presented Jesus as the propitiation by his blood. But the, where the ESV says propitiation, I believe that Paul is actually calling Jesus our place of atonement. Our mercy seat, if you will. In other words, Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the bridge between us and God. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. He is the one whose blood was spilled and sprinkled upon the throne of atonement to atone for our sins. And he is the bridge, the way that we go to God. It's through him. Because he is the high priest who entered the Holy of Holies to offer his blood as an acceptable sacrifice for your sins and he is the God who received that sacrifice. He's the God who has forgiven you of your sins. And he is the God who has reconciled you to himself. And he is not a narrow bridge. John 6. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And Jesus did this because he wanted to. Jesus wanted to atone for your sins. Jesus wanted to remove the distance between you and him. Jesus wanted to draw you into his heavenly throne and have a relationship with you because he likes you and he loves you. And he loves you so much that he has provided a way 
to have a joyful and peaceful relationship with him through Jesus. Jesus is the way to God. So what happens when we approach this throne of atonement to meet with God? God speaks. Verse 20. Sorry, verse 22. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I command you concerning the sons of Israel. From the place of atonement, from the throne of atonement, God speaks. And when God speaks, stuff happens. God's voice brought existence into existence. God spoke a word and light was. His voice echoed down the slopes of Mount Sinai, terrifying the Israelites. His voice echoed through the ages, bringing kingdoms to their knees in repentance. God's word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when God says he's going to speak with us, that means a lot. And today, from our passage, God says he's going to speak about his commands, which is appropriate because he's speaking from his throne. But do not forget that his throne is a throne of atonement. When God gives commands, it is from the throne of atonement. First, he atones for our sins. First, he bridges the gap. And then he commands us. And what is the primary command throughout all of Scripture? The one command that lies behind all the others. And you might think I'm talking about you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and strength. But I'm not. There's a command even behind that command. Before you can even obey love God, first God must command something else. And that command is it's hard to describe because you don't hear it with your ears. You hear it with your soul. The command is come. And you came to him. The command is live. And you came to life. The command is believe. And faith came alive in your heart. Before any other command was uttered, God first said, come. And no human being who hears that command can resist him. You came here today is God called you from the throne of atonement where Jesus' blood was sprinkled to atone for all of your sins. God says, come. And you did. And from that, every other command of Scripture is put into its proper place. We obey God because he has first loved us. So I'd like to make this morning two direct applications. The first uh, is for the fathers, dads. Dads, this is the kind of fatherhood you are called to imitate. 
your kids should be able to say, my dad likes me. My dad wants to spend time with me. My dad wants to talk to me. My dad delights in me. Because as you live as a dad, you are teaching your sons and your daughters what God is like, the kind of father he is. So if you are a harsh legalist, that is what your children will think of God. If you are passive and prone to avoid responsibility and make excuses, that is what your children will think of God. Fathers, dwell deeply on the fatherhood of God, the God who loved his children so much he removed every distance, forgave all their sins so that he can have a joyful, close relationship with his children. Imitate that. The second application is for all of us, whether we're married, single, adult, child. If you're feeling distant from God, if you're backsliding, struggling, suffering, angry, depressed, suicidal, hopeless, lonely, or wounded, God says, come. Come to him. Approach the throne of atonement. Because from it, you will hear his words as he speaks to you. And the words he says are words of grace, words of mercy, words of love. But you have to approach him. Read your Bible. Make room for it. Get up early if you have to. And I wish there were a mirror so I could, I could say this to myself too. We have to go to God and come to worship him. Come and hear the words that God has to say. Come and receive his gifts. And the best gift that God has for us, for you today, is the supper that's before us. Because the supper is our testimony in the ark. The supper is our testimony in the ark because the cup is the new covenant in his blood. The bread is his body broken in sacrifice to atone for our sins. The bread and the wine represent the revealed word of God and everything he has to say to us. It is the word made flesh. And the word he speaks is this. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. So I'd like to invite the session forward so that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you and we praise you. Thank you for uh, bridging the gap between us and you. You are a holy God. You are perfect. And you have brought us close. You have made us perfect in your sight through the blood of Jesus. We thank you, God. Thank you for all your gifts. Father, we ask that you would pour your spirit upon us so that we would, uh, in grateful joy, obey your commands. Not so that we can then please you, but because you are already pleased with us. 
God, please lead us in this obedience. Help us to come to you. Help us to, to seek you out throughout the week, to come where you have said you are. And thank you, God, that you have provided so much for us. We praise you and thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.